This is a Media Lab podcast. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What, what are you doing here, man? Is <sighs> is the podcast over? The the machine's broken. No, no, no! Machine's still turned on. I just have his guts kind of pulled out from here because I I know I know I put it somewhere. What did what did you what did you put what where? Do you know the movie City Slickers? Uh, yes. With uh, are you for- Billy Crystal? And Daniel. Jack Palance. Uh, are you familiar with the sequel to City Slickers? City Slickers 2? Slicking in the city? Search for Curly's Gold. Ah, oh, Curly's Gold. Sorry. I thought it was Slicking in the City. <laughs> city Slickers 2 still Slicking. <laughs> uh, no, it's the search for, it's the search for Curly's, Curly's Gold. And I know I put the gold in here somewhere, so I'm searching for it. You know what you need? Uh, you need what? an ass map. A what what? You need a map that's been hidden in someone's ass. It will. Oh. It will help you. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This This is is Kyle and Dave Dave versus versus the machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. And my name is uh, David. And I'm the Machine. A podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although, we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Today, we're going to be watching the movie Three Kings. Are we shooting people or what? Yeah, I can see a grain of sand in there. I think this guy has a weapon! One, two, three, four. Music is high, and the spirits are soaring as these young... Did I just say soaring? Sir, this scene is restricted, sir. Get out of my way. Sir, it's mayday, mayday, god dang it! Good afternoon. What do you see here? Bunkers, sir. What do you see in those bunkers? Stuff they stole from Kuwait. I'm talking about millions in Kuwaiti bullion. You mean them little cubes you put in hot water to make soup? No, not the little cubes you put in hot water to make soup. Is this like a Christmas movie? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Going to... What did, I, 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 I wish I could kings pull out kings of... I don't remember the words. <laughs> this is me singing in church. Let's move on. Let's move on. Right. Before this becomes uh, a musical podcast. Uh, Dave, what is your background history with Three Kings? I don't know. I think uh, George Clooney's in it, Ice Cube, mm-hmm. and Marky Mark. And that's all so I got. That's about it. I, I know it's uh, soldiers, and I feel like I've seen it, but I couldn't tell you what it is about. A heist. I don't know. Something sure, like that. Why yeah. not? I remember it being talked about pretty extensively at the time. It was definitely a movie I actually wanted to see back in 1999. Uh, I, I don't know if I've told you this before yet, Dave, but uh, the theater in my hometown burned down when I was a teenager. What? <laughs> yeah, oh. I know. It's crazy, huh? And uh, I just never got around to it. And I don't know why I never tried to go and watch that in the intervening years. Just have never done so. I know at the time, though, I can speak to it, that there was actually a lot of people disappointed that this movie was not nominated for Best Picture. That they thought that it should have been. Um, There's a lot of critics that thought it should have been nominated over some of the other choices that were nominated for Best Picture that year. It definitely made me excited to see uh, other stuff by David O. Russell. Uh, more on him <laughs> probably later on in this episode. And this was, I also remember, even though he had been in other films to this point, this was really George Clooney at the beginning of his career trying to be a movie actor, because I'm pretty sure he was still on ER at this point, or maybe just coming off of his run on the first few seasons of ER. Yeah, not that I've done any background research, mm-hmm. but yes, I think ER ends in 90. I didn't watch ER. I don't know. No. Doctors? Who gives a shit about doctors? I was a t- yeah, I was a teenager. Like, I'm going to watch a doctor show. Oh, fuck like, off. No. Yeah, they save lives. Let's move on. Um, uh, but apparently he had already done From Dusk Till Dawn, which okay. uh, I had not And Out watched. of Sight, probably, I'm going to guess? Yeah, J-Lo. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which, you know, I was surprised in my research. That's a Soder- Soderbergh movie, which I didn't yeah. realize at the time. Soderbergh goes all over the place, doesn't he? he like, he he's never yeah, yeah, figure he's him out. like a ghost. He's all over the place. So that's basically all I know about this movie. I know that it's fairly well regarded. I know that it is war movie of some kind. That's about it <laughs> that I know about this movie. Uh, but so I'm excited to to jump into it. Uh, so let's do that. Let's go and thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking about Three Kings. Hi, everyone. Just Kyle breaking into the podcast again to tell you about some of our lovely sponsors who help make this podcast uh, run as efficiently as it possibly can. And I, I assure you, we'll be right back to supporting that military industrial complex very, very soon. But before that, let's keep suckling at the teeth of capitalism. Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode is brought to you by Unbelts, the Edmonton-based biz that makes the comfiest stretch belts around. Unbelts also makes cloth masks. You're going to need more of those, whether you're heading back to school or just living in a city that requires masks indoors or on the bus. Unbelts masks are designed by serious perfectionists. The masks fall Follow all the latest WHO guidelines. They're ethically made right down to their components, but most importantly, they're super comfortable, even if you have to wear them all day. Unbelts masks have elastic straps that go around your head instead of your ears, though you can add an optional ear loop too if that's your thing. They've got a nose wire that keeps your glasses from fogging up. They've got a waterproof performance shell on the outside and an organic cotton lining inside, and you can put a filter in between. They come in all sorts of colors and four sizes, from preschooler to adult extra large. They've been featured in Parents Magazine, El Canada, and were even named best in Edmonton. And guess what? Unbelts is a certified B corporation, which means their business is all about giving back. All September long, for every mask and kids' belt they sell, they'll give a mask to Alberta schools in need. I think this is such an incredible boon to have them as a sponsor here this week. So what are you waiting for? Head to unbelts.ca to order your masks today. Shipping is always free and you can enter the code APN for a free mini laundry bag just for Alberta Podcast Network listeners. Or if you're an Alberta teacher, you can click teacher discount on their homepage for 20% off your entire order. Once again, that's unbelts.ca and enter the code APN. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by the inaugural YEG PodFest, that's Y-E-G PodFest, presented by Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Alberta Podcast Network and LitFest, Canada's non-fiction festival. Running October 1st through 3rd, the festival will be held entirely online this year, so anyone can experience it. Events will include master classes with experts, panel discussions, feature interviews, and more. And if you need an even bigger sell, I will be on one of those master classes to talk about how you can use podcasting in your business. How could you say no? Some of APN's podcasters will be part of these events. Again, refer back to me just a few seconds ago with guests from around the world. To check out the full lineup, head to yegpodfest.ca. Can I just say, and I, I want to actually talk about this more, I'm actually most interested at the fact that this is about the first Persian Gulf War. Uh, I think there's, it actually has a lot to say about... Uh, Oh, you mean ever? Uh, maybe some. No, wait. No, 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 not ever. But it was, it was from the first Iraq War. Oh, right. Uh, that's where the, where this movie takes yes, place. Yes. But. Okay. I didn't understand the words that were coming out of your mouth. Uh, but thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, yeah, up. Yeah, up. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, it was up-ish. pretty good. I um, you know what? I I was surprised by all of the different tones of mm. the movie. Which I probably, That's a very David O. Russell thing, I I was going to say, yeah, I probably should have expected that uh, since I've watched subsequent David O. Russell films, mm-hmm. but I was surprised like at the beginning montage of this sort of hysterical uh, Americana shit, and I was, I was really put yeah. off guard. And by the end, um, I don't know, it, it's, it's okay, yeah, it, it was pretty good. It was, it was pretty good. It was fine. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, it was fine. 
Well, let's get to some of this information. So Three Kings was released on October 1st, 1999. The other major release that week was Mystery Alaska, written by David E. Kelly, directed by Jay Roach, starring Russell Crowe, Burt Reynolds, and Colm Meany. Three Kings currently is rated 7.1 on IMDb, has an 82 on Metacritic, and then over on Rotten Tomatoes, as of 129 critics reviews, it's at 94%. And the users, 186,122 of them, give it a 77%. So both positive, but I think there is a pretty big division there between like how enthusiastic, say, audiences were versus how enthusiastic critics were. Uh, It is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes. You can also rent it on Google Play or YouTube. And in Canada... You can stream it via the Stars app. That's Stars with a Z. That's how you know it's classy. Its budget was seventy-five million dollars. Uh, it op- I have to imagine that's like explosion budgets and getting Clooney. I guess I don't know. I don't know what Clooney was asking. It price looked like was they were at that point. somewhere, you know, in the desert. Mm-hmm. So its budget was seventy-five million. It opened to fifteen million dollars domestically. It would make sixty. Internationally, it would pick up an additional $47 million, bringing it to a total of 107. So depending on what kind of, um, I don't know, algebra you want to do, that's either like a very modest success or a modest um, not success failure. So $165 million with inflation is what that comes to. Its plot description from IMDb is, in the aftermath of the Persian Gulf War, four soldiers set out to steal gold that was stolen from Kuwait but they discover people who desperately need their help. It stars George Clooney as Archie Gates, Mark Wahlberg as Troy Barlow, Ice Cube as Chief Elgin, and Spike Jones as Conrad Vig. That was the most surprising part. Two surprising Spike parts. Jones Spike was, Jones. Uh, was an actor before he, yeah. uh, before he directed? Well, he yeah, wasn't actually, he was already directing, but uh, yeah. I would never have expected him to play a... Uh, Racist bumpkin. So a racist well. bumpkin, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then did you notice Alia Shawkat was the daughter? Oh. Yeah. She came yeah, yeah, out yeah. and I was like, that looks a lot like a really young Alia, Alia Shawkat. And then I, you know, IMDb'd it. Was, it yeah, and yeah. it is her. Um, I'm going to just leave this without comment. I'm just going to say everybody actually has a first and last name except for Ice Cube in this movie. Listen. He's only known as Chief Elgin. So just, I'm just saying. You know, he's, well, that's his name, Chief that's not a. T- I'm pretty sure that's that, that's not a title. That's his real. That's, that's not his a rank. Real first name is Chief. I think so. Isn't he, it's not a rank? Isn't his rank sergeant? I guess so. I guess he, there is no chief designation no, in the army. No. So that makes it even wilder to me that his first name is Chief. Thug's life. I guess that that's coming from a guy who's named Ice Cube. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you um, get in trouble now. You get in trouble yeah. now. It. Uh, by the way, what it, what uh, kind of cool, interesting stuff did you uncover from these uh, four actors in your write up over at Patreon? Well, um, without getting into too much detail, uh, like Tom Hanks, George Clooney is apparently a fucking saint, and uh, likely, posthumously, there will be some drama because there's <laughs> no dirt. way a person can be that perfect. Yeah. I mean, he's like fought for civil rights, been in you know woke films. I, there's like not there's no dirt. Even like his uh, bacheloring, there's like no gossip. There's nothing. So it's... I, they probably this, had to sign like affidavits or something like that. They wouldn't say plausible. anything. plausible. I mean, Leo's not getting away with it. Everybody makes fun of Leo for the 20-year-olds. Yeah. But uh, I mean, he's married to a human rights activist lawyer. I, I mean, know. He's I not... Know. He's winning. I dated George Clooney briefly in the early 2000s. But it's the longest write-up because he's done... He's done a lot. He's done a lot of stuff. He's done a lot of stuff. He's even directed Oscar winning. I, I don't know. He's, yeah. I, I, this is what I will say about George Clooney. I guess love him or hate him. He is the most similar to me to uh, Jimmy Stewart in that Jimmy Stewart basically played the same character, I think, slightly elevated or understated, but it was really like a very limited range, I think, that Jimmy Stewart had. But I always love seeing him in a film. I think George Clooney is very similar to me, which is I think he has a very limited range that he can do, but I always enjoy when I see him in a movie. That's how I always feel. Yeah, I I think that's a cynical way to put it. I I agree with you. I wonder if it's also a statement of this concept of charisma. Like we talked, I think, mm. in one episode about John Malkovich or, uh, or right. Tom Waits. Or, there's some people that have, they're just themselves. And the movie works around them. I mean, even uh, Keanu Reeves, you know, again, love right. him, hate him. 
have an opinion about his intellectual capacity. I'm pretty sure he'll pass the uh, cognitive test, but uh, he's not a, you know, he's not a full range actor, right? He's he's not going to portray the Joker and then uh, mm-hmm. harm himself. But I was thinking about that too when this movie started. I mean, it's clearly Danny Ocean's backstory. I uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. When it no, starts off, hundred percent, yeah. But that being said, yeah. So that's that's Danny Ocean and. Um, Ice Cube's Ice Cube. It's not a full oh, yeah. write-up because his history is insane. I Come mean, on. Yeah. Come on. And I didn't yeah. want to go into the music side uh, just a little bit just because of his roots. But 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 you did spend most of your write-up on Mark Wahlberg's music side. You have to. Listen, it's the funky bunch and he's uh, yeah. he's peddling good vibrations. The thing about of Marky course. Mark is, uh, you know, I, I had no respect for him at the beginning. Uh <laughs> And sure. when I was doing this research, I realized I probably like 70% of the movies he's made. <laughs> I know. It's right? so wild. It's so weird. I, like, I don't know if I enjoy him. This is so awful to say. Like, <laughs> I don't enjoy him. Yeah. But for some reason, I like the movies that he's in. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, I can't really like weird. the other guys actually like the first Ted and, you know, like uh, Daddy's Home. It's a terrible movie, but it's hilarious. Like, I don't know. It's I, pain and gain. I got through that piece of shit. Like, wow. I, I don't okay. know. Uh, but he's got quite a lot. Of, he's got history, man. He's not a particularly nice person. Uh, I feel in his youth. I should say. Was this kind of the start of his like I don't know dramatic acting stuff, or had he been in a bunch of stuff before this? He's always. I don't know. That's the weird part. I think he started in drama and then got into okay. comedy because uh, sure. I'm just trying to remember the sequence. But I mean, The Departed's after this. But uh, yes, yeah. I mean, he was in The Fighter. He was, uh, like, it's weird. If you look at his pants, I think comedy's later. Because I think, judging by his But youth, was he in many movies before 1999? He's in, uh, I don't have it handy, but yeah. uh, before, ni- no, he's he's too young, I think. Yeah. He, oh, was it that stalker movie? Uh, the Neighbor, whatever, what was that thing? Uh, Swim fan. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he was in that... Uh, I, I don't know, I've never seen it, but he's in one stalker movie, which I'm pretty sure is okay. before this, and uh, and something else. I mean, he was an underwear model. The the big yeah, thing for yeah, him yeah. is uh, apparently he was in the original New Kids before uh, he left. Really? And, before Donnie came uh, in. He was with his brother. Oh, he was? I think they started it, and then he split, and then the other members came in after, which I thought was weird. I was such a Jordan fan. <laughs> wow. And then uh, th- that's on public record now. Uh, I don't care who knows it. <laughs> Jordan Knight, call me up. Uh, and then apparently Donnie Wahlberg, uh, who's got his own issues, produced Marky Mark's uh, first album, uh, which I think oh. was, like, it should make sense because they're already blown up, but uh, he brought good vibrations to the earth. So, you know, come on, like come on, come on. good vibrations just means drugs. <laughs> but. Well, you know what? Uh, yeah, he's got addictions in his past, racism, homophobia. Um, now apparently he's redeemed himself. He he makes well, they say he makes say movies that. with uh, BIPOC. That's a thing now, right? That acronym. So he makes movies BIPOC, with black yeah. people. So you know that's he's made some progress. Great. That's on record too. Yeah, this is gonna be. I don't know. I I don't trust them. I don't trust them, Dave. And then Spike Jones, of course. I mean, I know him more as a director, uh, but he did obviously like tons of. Um, the mu- I remember these music uh, videos. Music videos and stuff. That's like my that. era. No, I the other. Sorry, he he did direct one of my absolute favorite movies of like the last decade, which was Her. I love that movie. I still haven't like, seen it a lot. Yeah, it's great. Um, and we'll cut out the part where I said that he directed a movie that he did not actually. No, you direct, won't. No, so. you won't. Because that would <laughs> that would lose the veracity of this. Re- of this recording sure uh i grew up in the 90s so i watched every single one of his music videos without knowing that he directed them and uh yeah when i when i see the collaboration list i'm like i've had all of these albums because yeah this movie of course is written and directed by david o russell with a story by john ridley i don't know how much i really want to spend on this but this is very early in david o russell's career so he'd done spanking the monkey and Flirting with Disaster. Yeah. Flirting with the Disaster is the better reviewed movie out of those two. So this was his third that he was doing. Uh, but then he would go on and kind of become a big success where it meant a lot of his movies, the actors would either be nominated for or win Academy Awards. And big. he actually holds, they're all big. And he also has a distinction of being one of the few people to direct a Best Picture nominee two years in a row. So ah, back to back. You got to add that was, into my write-up. I didn't even mm, realize that. Yeah. Uh, which was uh, Silver Linings Playbook and then American Hustle. So those ah. were the 
two back-to-back movies. The biggest thing that people will know about him is that A, he's a huge jerk, and B, he cannot take a joke when it's uh, made about him. If you've heard the Mike Verbiglia story that he's told on stage about saying verbatim what he what David O. Russell said about Lily Tomlin on the set of I Heart Huckabees, you face. know that he uh, yeah. did not uh, did not take that criticism very well up on stage. Well, I read that George Clooney uh, punched him in his face during the shooting oh, of this movie. I could see that. Yeah. Well, it's you can see that very few actors work with him a second time. Yeah, with the exception like of... Like, there has uh, been some. Yeah, Jennifer Mark, Lawrence. Mark Wahlberg did, because well, Mark, Mark Wahlberg you, was in. Yeah. What are you going to say to Mark Wahlberg? You guys share the same values. Um, <laughs> right. I'm, you said that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a link, for some reason, I think intentionally, probably in hindsight, there's a link with Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein, Weinstein whatever that pig's mm-hmm. name is, I think just before Three Kings. So I don't know if Harvey's got a, a producing credit on this one, but th- for whatever reason, Wikipedia highlights that they met um, and interestingly, uh, David Russell's disappeared from Hollywood for the last four years. I, he, there's no projects. Yeah. There's nothing listed. Uh, I think he's in hiding. Yeah, apparently the story goes, uh, he was physically and verbally abusing uh, the set staff and George Clooney, because he's a fucking saint, was like, you can't do that to these people. And then apparently David Russell headbutted him and George Clooney punched him in his face. That happens, apparently. <laughs> On a set of a movie. Yeah, so. uh, set of a movie. I, I, yeah, it's wild because, I, again, I, I'm not going to say what he said, but you can watch the video. They've released it of what he said to Lily Tomlin with what I'll say with Dustin Hoffman sitting right next to her and him being like very past like maybe maybe you shouldn't say that. Like it's, he's very like noncommittal to, to back her up. You know, what struck me is uh, like Hollywood culture is that mm-hmm. Lily Tomlin almost apologized for that incident. I know, I know. And that might not be her core, but how else is she going to work in that industry and in that era if she doesn't make it her fault? That's, that's so fucked up. But uh, that's mm-hmm. where we are. We're starting to learn that apparently men don't respect women. It's strange, Kyle, these yeah. things we're learning. Just He's just now. trying to make her understand how this picture works, though, fuck. Dave. Ugh. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so he can go fuck himself. Uh, but he makes anyways, let's David O. Russell. And the, the, the worst thing is that I do have a love-hate relationship with his movies. There's actually a few that I really do love. Yeah. And a couple that I really actually hate that I don't like very much Which one uh, do you hate? All. Which one do you hate? I really don't like Silver Lane's playbook. Mm, like, yeah. straight up. Don't think depressing. that's a good movie. I actually think it's actually made poorly. But anyways, that's me getting up on my soapbox. Uh, Dave, I know you already said uh, it was a a modicum of uh, support to this movie. Uh, Why don't you go into a little bit more depth of what do you enjoy about this? Well, in light of everything (laughs) we said now, I can't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, number one, I think it was, let's say, gripping. That's a strong word because the tone keeps evolving, which is nice. I mean... Right from the bat, you get that anti-war, sarcastic, satirical vibe, um, which, you know, for me personally and the times we live in uh, immediately kind of hits this note. It is a little bit hard and very 90s the way they do with the sort of frat boy, uh, you know, celebrations and shit. But as they mm-hmm. leak little things, like, for example, that none of the characters have actually been in active duty and that... You know, and that was a big story. I remember when I was young that a lot of these war veterans were war veterans coming back from that particular Gulf War, and they were often spending two years or whatever their uh, tours were, just sitting. Feels a lot like this podcast because it wasn't. It was like a me- It was one of the first big media wars. There was not the amount of action that uh, movies would portray. And when Danny Ocean shows up, and you know they've got the the butt map, and they've made their crude dark comedy jokes about the shit and all that kind of stuff i started thinking it was going to be an ocean's 11 because you know they're they're going to go on this heist and so i was like getting all excited about this sort of uh i thought it was going to go like full comedy uh i mean ice cube and marky mark for 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 a moment there i was actually right there with you i thought that this was going to turn into like oh that's interesting like a war heist movie i don't i haven't seen many of those before so i was like that's cool let's do that and, we, and then it went into something completely different and that's the thing like in 99 nobody knew that marky mark and ice cube would actually be great comedic characters right but that's the lens i see them at now so i thought this is a great cast to have something where they're going to be silly and do stupid shit and and it, it did not do that and i thought it got muddled not because of poor directing or writing but that situation is so muddled so like the first time you see soldiers and the people like it's so, I mean, I think that's the intent that it's so gray and 
nobody's right, nobody's wrong, and you see this American greed, and I don't know. It it got I, very. I think I'm along there with you um, for for the most part. Although it sounds like I might be a little bit more positive on this movie than what you are. I could not help but watch this movie with like two brains going on at the same time, which is like, boy, what would this have been like to watch in 1999? And now the impossibility of doing that because it's like, well, how do you look at this movie with the knowledge of what was going to happen in a few years from 1999 and how what they're talking about in this movie was like so eerily prescient about what would be American policy in three years. So I think that there's this really interesting thing uh, that's going on. First and foremost, I said this at the beginning, but to really put this into context, like there are so few films made of the first Gulf War. I looked it up and uh, this is Wikipedia. So, I mean, I write in if this is absolutely incorrect, but I think grand total, there's been like, 15 movies made about the first Gulf War um, and they list them all out. Anything of note? I can't even think of one. The Jarhead? only no, uh, That's the second one. No, yeah. that's the second one. Yeah. That's right. Like all the ones that we can think of probably off the top of our head are second <laughs> occupation because they started making them really quickly. Yeah. Uh, even while that was going, well, I mean, it's still going on, but I mean like very soon after they were going on, I can't even remember like a, like a, a popular one, honestly. So it wasn't really made about, which I see as being maybe a comment on really the 90s of being like, shrug, whatever, war wars going on. But I don't really have to, I don't know, um, lock into politics or anything like that. It seemed like uh, that was a justified war, even though this movie is showing, hey, there's a lot of crazy shit that's going on here that we should really reckon with as a nation. Um, and then they weren't able to until... 9-11 kind of happened afterwards. But I'm just I'm just talking about like the, the the idea about blowback, about going into a country, invading it, and not setting it up for success and then leaving. Of course, people are going to be mad at you. There's like that whole subplot of the guy who's torturing Mark Wahlberg about like, listen, like you dropped bombs and killed my family. Like, how am I, else am I supposed to react to this? And it's like, oh God, like I guess you're you're right in that sort of thing. I have no idea, by the way, if this this story is actually based on a true story, like whatsoever, or if it's like completely made up. It did feel a little bit like America rah rah a little bit. <laughs> by the end of it, it's like Americans always do the right thing, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, but uh, the last thing before I throw it back to you, it was also hilarious to me that they're the song that they're dancing around to after like they're done fighting is that uh, uh, "Great to Be an American" song that played like for ever after 9-11 well, yeah, happened, you know what I mean? Literally like that became true. an anthem. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so it's just like, boy, this history repeat itself here if, <laughs> as, as, they, as they were constructing this movie. So I think there's a, it's, there is a bunch of stuff that uh, can be delved into as far as like America's foreign policy, how this impacted them going into it, and um, how much different the reaction from the public was, and I guess what Hollywood's reaction was to it even, uh, first um, Gulf War versus the second. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what you have to say about that. I, I just keep thinking whether I'm misremembering this, but you know, I, I do have this thought that when I was in high school, this war was not a justified one. And I remember we used to read McLean's and Times Magazine and all the articles like I was mentioning earlier were about how they had these ships, they're firing missiles into this area. Nobody knew why. Everybody was talking about how it was about oil and it wasn't about freedom or peace. So there it wasn't a lack of acknowledgement, at least in my memory, that this war was uh, George Bush the first's um, mm-hmm. sort of uh, political, if not ruse, at least um, you know stratagem uh, for, let's say, economic, international diplomacy. Who who knows? Whatever the motives are at that level of politics, I wonder if the difference is uh, social media. I, I have this yeah, feeling yeah. that at that time in the '90s, like we kind of talked about how. We're just noticing in 1999, there's, there are cracks where people are starting to be aware that there's uh, an underlying problem with the culture in America, but this is still considered the zenith. Many war films, I would say the vast majority of war films are basically come down on the side of like anti-war. <laughs> like it's like, this is not a good thing we're doing, uh, especially the Vietnam War films. And I think a lot of the Iraq films too. But I, what I think we've already discussed this year is 1999 feels like 
and maybe the, the years leading up to this were the same way, but definitely in 1999, it's like these cracks are starting to form in this idea about American exceptionalism, at least the people that are making the entertainment content. It seems like maybe we should question this idea that America is the best all the time. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if we continue to delve into the history of film, intellectuals, pro and anti, let's say in this case, America, will have their opinions in general, and they will be reflected in art and expression. But I think the advent of the sort of democratization of news through social media has changed the uh, way that Hollywood feels obliged to present itself. Maybe that's a way to put it. So. Uh, I wonder if in the 90s, even in the face of like, I'm pretty sure it was already somewhat known about the US's involvement with, you know, Noriega. I mean, Bin Laden wasn't on the radar yet, but Hussein, all of these despots that they actually built uh, to control previous wars uh, and lost control of. And, I, and this is the thing that I, I might be wrong. This may be, these may be narratives that came out after Bin Laden. So I, I can't remember if uh, I'm mixing up my personal uh, history with this stuff, but it is fascinating to see, yeah, a humanization in a way in a Hollywood film of the impact right. of war on both sides. I mean, even, I mean, it is super cheesy, but even the way that uh, the American soldiers, you know, George Clooney has to make a an ethical divide because in the beginning he's shown as a disgusting reporter fucking you know, like right. uh, near do well, as they would say in the Shakespearean uh, era. <laughs> yeah, no, don't don't pronounce V's ever. No, I mean V's are uh, the devil's consonant, and so uh, he uh, he goes from you know in the span of two and some hours uh, from this guy who has no ethics and morals who wants to steal his gold for gold for himself, although so charming, so you don't get this nefarious thing right. where he's going to kill Ice Cube and Marky Mark to get it for himself. And in the first interchanges, he's like, no, fuck all these people. Fuck those soldiers. Let's just get the gold and get that out of here. And go. And yeah. in that one moment, in this case, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Alia Shawkat's mother unfortunately gets shot in the head for no reason. He makes this ethical decision, which then becomes this next spiral where the movie leaves any comedic route and becomes, yeah, the social political drama. And, it, you know, they show these weird underground movements and this kind of like... Uh, almost Miyazaki uh, style gas mask and, and like the, yeah. the whole thing becomes very surreal, but also couched in, in fact, I mean, Saddam Hussein was famous for hiding all of his personal wealth in bunkers and having right. these yeah, yeah. collections of cars. Uh, that's become a bit of a meme, if you will, as they, as the youth uh, like to say of all I mean, dictators. Yeah, Saddam Hussein would eventually be caught in a bunker. I yeah. mean, like, like all this stuff was so or was again, he? prescient about what was going twins. on. Or was he? Right. There were clones. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Of course there was. Um, I, I, I overuse this analogy I know sometimes, but they're, it, they're at least then that section where they are in that small village going to the bunker. It did turn into like a mini Western in my mind, yes. you know, like the people come into town, they stroll into town and then they understand like, no, we should actually save these people rather than like, <laughs> like go after like the bandits. Bale of hay sort of and somebody, somebody going. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so, so that's what it kind of felt yeah. like. And uh, David Russell is known for like, m like just basically slamming t uh, together genres and styles and tones. And that sometimes puts people off of his films. Uh, puts me off of some of a couple of his films specifically, but I mean, for me, it works where it gets like it starts as war film satire, kind of gets into this Western thing. There's like kind of this rescue plot, and like so, there's all these different things kind of being thrown at the same time. But I have to say, I was like always engaged with what was what was going on. Do you feel like there is though a point? He wrote and directed this movie. Is he trying to comment on anything, or is it just like, oh, this is going to be a fun movie? to put on in October of 1999. From what I've read about David Russell and looking at his movies, I don't think he aims to make fun movies. Mm. You know, it seems like everything is a uh, either intentional or unintentional psychological exploration of his own fucking problems. Like there's just <laughs> there's like that tension where he's um he's kind of throwing his own trauma and his own conspiracy and his own sort of uh thought process into this writing, which when it hits, makes it, uh, I, I, I'm going to use a word here, 
mercurial, which gives him a lot of credit, but there's something, there's an alchemy and there's a lot of great words today. There's an alchemy what happens when you're willing to be that vulnerable. So you, you put Wait, out. Is that, is that a thesaurus that you have in front of you? What's that? <laughs> yeah. I, I just scribbled it in my hand I said, words to use. I've been spending all week right. uh, accumulating yeah. uh, the vocabs. I mean, I think this is it, but uh, I think it's doused in, of course, woke politics and all this stuff, in, like in the 90s sense, where he's trying to show that we aren't good guys and none of this was a just war. But the main thing is this um, exoneration of evil behavior by just doing the mm -hmm. right, like being a Nike sponsor, just doing the right thing. Um, right, like one good act, like yeah. somehow makes up for all these other like devilish things that have been going on. And that's the thing at the end that kind of pulled the plug out for me at the end. I, I mean, it's not that it's done badly and it's not that I don't want redemption for, let's say Mark. I mean, so I had to give credit to Marky Mark. It's like in the torture scene, he's actually fucking fantastic in that moment. Yeah, right. right? right. Uh, you know, you watch that. I, I'm not sure how he didn't die from being fed gasoline, but that's a whole other, we won't talk about the plot per se. I mean, he looked right, pretty right. clean for someone who is just uh, being forced Well, it to was premium fuel. So, I mean, <laughs> that does clean the undercarriage a bit. Or motor oil or whatever. It was black. So maybe it's oil. Uh, I don't it's know. Straight up oil. Yeah. I eat dinosaurs for breakfast. So, so. well, we are in Alberta, the dinosaur yeah, capital of the world. I, I mean, he makes a point of showing the burning oil fields, which is a big news uh, issue back then because it wasn't about oil. They were just burning the things in Kuwait. And like, you know, that was a whole uh, environmental news piece in that era. I think it's about his own personal redemption. You know, maybe he's acknowledging in some way that he knows he's a prick and he just wants to have a character that has this opportunity to save a village full of people who are suffering for no reason. And that's also a storyline that doesn't exist anymore. This idea of, uh, you know, a small village in an Arab state, you know, um, affiliated with terrorism, where everybody there is actually a naive, innocent, even if the rebels, good person looking for good American ethical values. That's become right. very muddied too. Uh, in all the shows and movies we watch now, there's always more dissent and more conflict even within those stories. So There's a few things I guess I want to pick up on here. I think that there's a bunch of different plot threads that kind of all feed into, into this theme because I think one of the other major things that he's trying to get at, what David O. Russell is trying to get at, is that there is this mythology that happens with wartime, with soldiers in particular, and potentially like about the first Gulf War specifically, uh, because again, this would have been seven years removed six or seven years removed from what that when that conflict was being fought but there's a moment at the very beginning specifically right you know they, they find the map in that gentleman's ass and that's how the kind of this adventure starts but then as they go around the camp that story starts to slightly change yeah. and so it's like oh it's in his nose and it's like this is where he found it and then there was um a similar thing because of what the very first scene is uh, Marky Mark killing that guy, like shooting him in the neck. It's like, oh yeah, his head entirely popped off. And what struck me was like, boy, that's a really interesting comment on how a mythology is built up, how tall tales are begun, where there's probably this element of truth and then wild speculation. And then that becomes the story that becomes the truth just because it's repeated so often and so forcefully. That's how good wars are labeled the good wars because of the stories we keep telling ourselves. And I think that's why they have Nora Dunn news reporter there too, where we see her kind of slightly, not necessarily making up facts, but definitely like shaping what the story is behind what's going on. And uh, yeah, I just think that's an interesting feature to put into this movie where it's like, we're showing you in this movie, like what's really happening, quote unquote, what's really happening. But is it really happening? I think that there's this meta narrative that's going on. And it's like, can you trust what is being presented to you? And the quick answer is you can't. But I mean, like, uh, I think that's an interesting thing to infuse into a war movie. I don't think that's normally what people are trying to do. I, I like that. I forgot this thing, though, in terms of us uh, rewriting, because we're, we're better directors than anyone. Um, <laughs> yes, especially me. I uh, mean, well, I was going to say uh, they call me an actor's director, really. <laughs> like, that's what that's where I excel. They would just call me Oscar. Uh, no. So, uh you know, when you brought it up, I vividly remember them, but it's not what I take away from the movie. And I wonder if, if there had just been one more moment to remind us, or if, you know, like in the epilogue, I hate how right. that was a thing, but 
in this epilogue sequence where everybody's happy and they all make it. If yeah, yeah. there could have been one more reference to how the entire story we watched might have been an exaggeration of something like, you know, shooting a rocket through a, through a, uh, what looks like a, a oil tanker and it turns out to be filled with milk. I mean, there are these surreal moments that are comedic, weird, because they're not really contextualized yeah. at all. And then they disappear. Whereas those two moments in particular were very deliberately put into the movie. And even Spike Jones' character, because he kind of is the centerpiece of that uh, myth right. creating. By the end, when he's uh, shot, it's just his character is just, uh, it's weird. It, it gets a little weird. I, I kind of lost it. This is the hardest for me to grapple. Like, it's not that Spike Jones is doing a bad job no. with that character. Just why is the character? But I, was, there? I kept wondering, like, why is he here? Like, why is, like, the racist white guy the, the person that we're kind of seeing this movie through the lens of sometimes? And I actually enjoyed the fact that uh, Ice Cube was there to temper it because there's some pretty strong racist language. And he's like, no. And he shuts that down. I mean, it says David Russell's uh, from New York, Manhattan. So maybe this is just his way of poking fun at the redneck yeah. South. Uh, it may also be a comment on, you know, where the soldiers enlist from. I mean, there are mm. interesting statistics about the, uh, the source material of the army. Uh, it's no accident that in Canada, you know, Alberta, East Coast, they funnel so much of uh, the youth into the army, but you don't hear as much about it in urban centers. Uh. I guess the one interesting thing about the plot of this movie, and maybe you can think of other examples that I'm just blanking on, but very few times have I seen a war movie where the the soldiers are so actively trying not to ever be in the army anymore because that's kind of what their goal is like get the goal so we can leave the army or or leave the military where usually it's like this situation we're in is shit and it's awful and we want to get out of this situation but they're still like proud you know, proud to be around with their brothers and like you know joining that war cry but this one is more actively like we don't want to actually be a part of this apparatus anymore I'm sure there's probably some Vietnam movies out there that are sure. similar and stuff like that, but this is, I mean, you know, one yeah. of the few that like I th it's a it's a slight like semantic argument I guess I'm making here, but it seemed like it was a little bit different than normal setups. You could yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could throw the MCU universe where uh, <laughs> the Falcon and all these guys are dealing with PTSD. I think right, right. PTSD has become a mainstay in army movies. But like you said, uh, the narrative is not so much about people running away or trying to get theirs. Uh, I think that's fairly unique. I mean, us thinking that this is going to be an army heist movie, the way that it sets up uh, and its reputation, or not reputation, but uh, how I imagined this movie was going to be without even getting into the, into the first scene. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it feels unique. I, I, I definitely don't know... How many army heist movies? I mean, you watch uh, the Fly Five Bloods. I haven't seen it yet. Presumably, there are some parallels to this. I I think it's about five uh, soldiers that come across a bunch of gold and go back to go get it. Movie idea: The Five Bloods Two: The Search for Curly's Gold. But they, yeah, they, there still is that brotherhood of them being there. I think that they are such a kinship between them all, and this one feels much more like. We want to get this gold and get out and never see each other ever again. Like there, there, there's that kind of difference. Yes. Before we wrap this up here, it, it seems like the kernel of the theme here is this like uh, interaction that George Clooney has with, I think it's Ice Cube's character, but definitely with some of the other characters. And it's like, uh, what's the most important thing in life? And one of them says like respect. And then another one is like, um, uh, what about love and like how about God's will, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, necessity. People do what is most necessary to them at any given moment. I guess I just want to know, do you think that's true? That's well, an empty statement, I think. I know, that's what yeah. I mean. Yeah, I don't, because he wrote it, there are reflections of a young David or Russell's mind. That strikes me as something that I would have keyed into when I was 20. You know, like uh, an adage to walk away from that made me feel like I'd figured life out. But the concept of necessity is uh, it's a relative one. <laughs> you can have necessity over every necessary thing in your life. Uh, the bigger questions are the, uh, you know, both the values that underpin what you think is necessary and then the willingness to do 
what's necessary for those necessities. And that in itself is a fucking cauldron of, uh, right? Psychoanalysis, spiritualism, right. everything. So I, yeah, I thought what, that was- what, What's necessary to make this podcast a success is what I'm trying to ask, Dave. I mean, that's a good question. And we clearly don't have an answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, let's talk about podcasting. You know, what is the word necessary mean in podcasting? It's weird. Wow. You know, is any podcast really necessary? Probably mm. not. I mean, I think what, what, what it's getting down to here is what he's trying to say is that people try to uh, pretty up the language. But really, when it comes down to it, when you are tested the exact most, you're going to do what is whatever is possible to survive, whether that's you and your family or if you're even more cold and calculated it'll just be yourself it's like that preservation almost you do what's necessary to to go on to the next thing whatever that next thing is uh so i think he's just saying like let's grab the gold let's go let's get out of here um and i think that might be slightly circumnavigated by the end of the movie but i still think that's how he's living his life he's just doing what it takes to to get to the next step I, you know actually like talking this out i think Maybe David Russell is smarter than I was giving him credit because that scene happens no. before all of the uh, all of the shit goes down, and I wonder if that's just his way of positing a justification that he hears a lot, particularly in capitalist America, of people right. uh, winning. Right? It's all about winning. It's all about as long as I'm on top, you know, that I'll do what's necessary uh, to have the most money, to have the most property, to be the higher ranking boss. Um, and then the movie devolves because, you know, it, it's not that simple, you know, even making a choice between these townspeople, seeing someone get tortured coming up, there's men with guns, they're not actually fighting. Like it's such an awkward conflict until, uh, a so like a presumably innocent woman is shot for really no reason. Um, mm. and then, yeah, his definition of necessity changes and it moves away, starts to move away from his personal wealth into uh, some kind of social moral good and even that's murky for all of them they str all of them struggle with that yeah it, you know what's interesting looking back at that too is marky mark's character is the one that seems throughout the whole movie to have the hardest time just letting it be about the money but in the end he's the one that tries to get away with the money first right, in that right. conflict right so there is sort of a, a weird twist there. The only sort of underpinning character is Ice Cube, who's just praying to be part of the flow of whatever's happening. And he's the one that gives it up the easiest. So, yeah, the, now I'm overthinking I mean, I think, it. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, just because you brought in the capitalism thing, which you always do, I can't come down one way or the other because this is the awfulness of social media too, where I think we're going to have to wait for the next 20 years to see if this pans out. But it feels like... It, so it feels like to me that the younger generation is very much more pushing against this idea of individuality, where it's like, no, we should not be doing things just because it's advantageous to you, the single person. We need to start looking much more to like the greater good. So like you can be successful and also bring up everyone at the same time, bringing people along with you rather than just like stepping on the necks of everyone beside you and in front of you again. I don't know. That's just what I feel I see a lot on social media, but who knows if that's actually going to pan out. The hippies basically caused the recession of 2008, so who knows? Well, I mean, it's like the hippies becoming the yuppies. I, I think, yeah. you know, I can't remember if it was one of our discussions or my dis discussion with somebody else, but you know that adage about the company you keep. I feel like, you know, you and I have, share at least a little bit of our Venn diagram of, of people that we kind of know Um then within the art community, the podcasting community, you know, Matt Mort specifically, mm -hmm. and you hang around with all these p kids that are like you're talking about, seem to uh, love each other and want to hang out and high five each other and go to each other's shows and like do all this kind of shit. On the flip side, in this classic sort of uh, American bipartisanship sort of politics, if you actually go on a random Instagram, that really is not the case. I mean, everybody wants to be a celebrity. Everybody believes they're a celebrity in, in waiting. You know, I was just talking to Helen this morning, um, not to be too much of a hater, but you know, I'm back on Instagram now because of the exposure studio thing. And um, as I'm flipping through my feed, I mean, they're friends, but there are people that must spend, I was just getting into their headspace, an, an exorbitant amount of time posing 
taking 50, 100 selfies of themselves in particular type of clothing to present themselves in a particular way to a, an you know, anonymous, ambiguous public and in the least victim-blaming way possible by presenting themselves that way and objectifying themselves. That is not like what you're talking about. That is not a social statement. Altruistic. Yeah, yeah. that's not a thing where everybody's holding hands. It can be twisted that way where everybody's like, well, this is uh, body positivity and I can do whatever I want. But, you know, if the filters that I want to show myself in a bikini on the side of a river, um, you know, and like with a filter that my lips get extra swollen, like that's, there's a, a male bisexualization there that's kind of, like it gets very, very weird. Whoa, whoa, whoa. a male bisexualization? What biased, biased. Oh, biased. Yeah. I was going to say, what are you throwing me into this uh, So I, I want to believe, and I think maybe I'll agree as much as this, I think that there is going to be and has a growing community of people that want to support each other. But like the hippies, that idealism will hit a wall because you gotta, you have to live in this this country, uh, be it Canada or the United States or wherever you know you're listening to this, and that costs money. That money is currently being undermined by not just shitty leaders but COVID. So, uh, who knows in five years what that actually means, or one year when the shit hits the fan. In other words, when your mortgage payment or your rent or you need to eat, uh, when these things are all due, idealism like George Clooney is talking about uh, in this movie, uh, it goes out the window pretty quick. And then the concept of necessity comes in, and then your values come in. So I was uh, watching, did I bring up the Simon Sinek uh, TED Talk in our last episode? Yeah, I episode? think you did that a couple episodes Fuck. ago. Well, anyways, finite game, infinite game. But at the end of the day, he talks about how if you have values, then you can make decisions that are against your interests. So, you know, if you and I value podcasting, we will at some point be able to make a decision that will not feel right uh, if this is the most right. important thing we're doing, right? Um, and so I think when these kids are faced with that, we'll, we'll see. History will judge. Yeah. History has its eyes. Um, Dave, my follow-up question is, uh, who hurt you? Well, you know, in my mind, everybody. As it turns out, though, Kyle, myself. Yeah, myself. Yeah. We're done here. The machine has told us that we have to wrap up, but I think we should end off by asking kind of those two questions we so often do, which is, do you think this movie holds up and do you think there's any cultural relevance to watching this movie in the year 2020? Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was pretty gripping. I didn't find myself having to contextualize or even know it was Gulf War I. Um, mm-hmm. this, this sort of depiction of Warcraft has changed, not the video game, but how um, how soldiers are on the ground and what war is like. That I Can I just say, that is actually a really interesting point you just brought up. I do think that the video game war games and, and, and first person shooters and stuff like that really has changed how war movies are portrayed on screen nowadays. Like just watch like um, extraction for instance, that was like out on Netflix here recently. Like, boy, does that owe a lot to first person shooters and not, I'm not even saying that as a good thing or bad thing. I'm just saying that it's changed the way that war is shot. And this felt very standard, like nineties <laughs> war movie type of thing. I think I read a trivia that because it's David O. Russell, he demanded that the uh, explosion scenes were single takes or something like that. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's such a asshole. I mean, there must have been so much yelling, you know, in prep because, you know, right, right. you're just not in the right place. The social themes we're talking about are still relevant. Is it going to come off? Yeah. I hate the word. I hate to use the word naive here because I don't think it should be. I, I think these themes are relevant you know that like the torture scene that we need to humanize that we need to understand that uh, over the last 150 years i mean this is historical so throughout mm-hmm. the history of humanity i mean if you want to be depressed read about wars i mean this yeah. this shit is this shit is scratching the surface the stuff that we're upset about now doesn't compare to what people did in the medieval times or sure. pre-biblical times in the, the concept of torture. Not, is, not to let them off the hook too much, oh, but yes, yeah, like yeah. the, the, the depravity that humanity has known throughout the centuries is, yeah, is something pretty yeah. sick. Yeah. There's a reason why Shakespeare couldn't pronounce V's. It was uh, a war wound. No, um, <laughs> that's right. It's the merchant of Venice, everyone. <laughs> so I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it should be, I think it should be relevant. Uh, it's hard to picture you know, how an 18-year-old will watch this movie. Mm. It feels like, yeah, the cinematography, the way it's shot, feels a little bit 
old person-y. It's not so hip. Um, But I kind of like it for that too. As we've talked about, I hate shaky cam. I hate jump cuts. This has got a little bit of of that taste, but I didn't find myself being dizzy from a cinematography and director photography view. (laughs) So Yeah, this is a very classically shot film in very many ways, even though there are still some flourishes here and there. I I, I think that it does hold up, and I do think it's still relevant for how many more years? I, I don't know. I, I can't put it in there. I just, I found it increasingly fascinating just because of that connection of like, this was made in 1999, and it feels like it's commenting on the second Iraq war instead of the first. And I think that that's a really interesting idea to bring up. I mean, they bring up Bush's name, they bring up Saddam's name, and but they're actually talking about the first Bush, not, not the second one. So I feel like uh, throughout that, definitely the second bush's uh term in office that this is probably something a lot of people could have gotten a lot of value from and nowadays i think it's just one of those like any war film from like the 60s or 70s you can look at it and watch it and be like oh man like there's some good lessons you can learn from here uh but i think it's always going to have again your favorite thing it's going to feel like a time capsule more than it is like this is like cutting edge that we're discussing here right now i i mean this is just a quick hindsight 2020 thing, but uh, you know what dates this movie? And it's why I forgot about him at all. Fucking Jamie Kennedy. Like that character is awful. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's such a 90s slapstick uh, character, but I just remembered him. He's awful in it. Not because of himself as a human being, but the character does, like it's, they already have an idiot. They've got the redneck. He's playing mm-hmm. the role of the fool. And then they added one more who is much worse. Uh, so that will date right, it. Right. Yeah, they don't do that as much anymore, unless you're going to go full comedy. Well, let's get into our ratings. Uh, we do rate every movie here out of five because the machine demands it. You can look at our entire list over on Letterboxd, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. So out of five, Dave, what would you give this movie? I'm just trying to think how much it's affected by how we're talking about it. I'm going to go with three because I don't imagine myself watching this movie again. I uh, Sure. Yeah. I'm going to go with a, a three. Well, I am, like I said, I, I know I'm a little bit more positive on this than you are. I'm giving it a four because uh, I think it's strong. Will I watch this again? I think I probably will. It's not going to be soon. That's for sure. Like I'm, It's not going to go into a rotation of mine or anything like that. But I, I probably would pop this on again. Uh, just to see if it holds up. Just to throw in, you know, your Star's free membership doesn't last a couple of years. So if you're going to watch it again, I mean, not that we use mm-hmm. Star's, but uh, you probably yeah. have to watch it pretty quickly. So this this is so funny. Um, what that means, though, Dave, is that it's tied with a movie. Um, it is tied with The Mummy. It's tied with The Mummy. And what happened here a few weeks ago is happening again. So The Mummy... I gave a three, you gave a four. Mm. And in this movie, I gave a four, you gave a three. So how are we going to break this deadlock? Let's do rock, paper, scissors. No, um, convince me that the mummy should go ahead of Three Kings. I'm just trying to convince myself right now. I think we did this last week. Uh, Which movie are we more likely to watch again? To be brutally honest, even though I gave it a lesser score, I probably would see The Mummy more. It's just more fun, right? It is more fun, yeah. Which one is structured more intelligently? That'll be The Three Kings, right? So you have to kind of go with entertainment versus pretense. So um, I'm going to go entertainment because, uh, you know, I'm definitely at this age in particular. I just, I want to be entertained, Kyle. Can, like, can you sure, just sure. entertain me a little bit? Yeah, you're... So. You're weak. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> so I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw my vote in for the mummy. How about you? Where, yeah. Where do you land? No, I, on- I'm. I'm agreeing with you. I'm. <laughs> I'm going at the the rewatch value more than anything. So I have no problem uh, putting it there. I did this wrong. One second. One second. This is getting cut out. I'm praying that my audio has that high pitch whine in it. Because oh yeah, <laughs> cutting it out. I was getting a headache because I was either you know like trying to filter it out and all you hear is the wine there's a, i mean i i hear a wine most most of the time when i record with you but it is, that is just your voice hey um so uh entering the list then at number 15 is three kings so i said you can go and look at the full list by going to our letterbox page uh kdvstm is of course also where you can find this on 
social media, whether it's on Instagram or on Twitter. And if you want to see the beautiful write-ups that Dave does and some of the extra content that we make, you can go over onto our Patreon page, help support us over there, and uh, make this show keep going. Uh, Dave, do you want to know what we're doing next week, what we're reviewing next week? I'm a quiver with excitement. Never say that word again. Again, you have one more word, apparently, that you have to use before the end of this podcast. Um, I'm going to push this button here. Uh, Okay, well, we're going from a pretty bro-y movie, and we're kind of going in the opposite direction. We're watching Girl Interrupted next week. I used to like that movie. There's no way that's held up, but... uh... (laughs) That's like uh, uh, that's what first uh, Angelina uh, Jolie, right? One of her first and films. Winona Ryder, Winona Ryder, that? yeah, both crazy. It's like cuckoo's. I've not seen women. this movie. Oh. Yeah, I've not seen this movie. Well, listen, Kyle, uh, just put this wire around your earlobes, and okay, I'm just yeah, going to pick yeah. this bag up here, and I, I'm going to split. Oh, okay, right? Okay, great. Yeah, and when I, you're ready, just just turn that dial. Just turn that dial. Oh, right. okay. Yeah. I'll just uh, just turn this dial. <laughs> <laughs> 